Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. before but we're gonna get a little bit more in depth on the issues today thanks for joining us the jim fannin show share it if you like got myself worked all into a big fat sweat over here thank you for taking time time what is going on (laughs) i I don't know what is going on. I'm I'm an absolute mess right now, but I appreciate it. Oh, no. Thanks for coming on. I think we got the audio good. Absolutely. Yeah, that was that was quite a doozy trying to get through that one, but we did it. You yeah, did it anyway. Yeah. Um now I just want to check my audio just to make sure that we're good here because all of a sudden now your audio's back down to a normal level. So I don't know oh, what happened. Oh, thank the Lord. That's a good thing. <laughs> you had to turn me down before. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. So anyway, so you don't need too much of an introduction since we spoke last time. Uh, maybe you could take a few minutes, though, just to tell people, because um, we've spent a good long time on it. So if you want to know exactly who Matea Murda is, you can go to a previous show, which you can find wherever you're watching it now. And uh, yeah, just for the people that are new here, maybe you can take take some time to to tell Absolutely. everyone who you are. <laughs> Go Absolutely. ahead. Absolutely. So I, I'm Matea Murda. I am a Canadian. I'm from Sport and Brennan, Saskatchewan, Canada. I am the global policy and advocacy advisor for a pro-life, pro-family organization here in Canada. And I am also their United Nations representative. I advocate for the protection of life and families in Canada and globally working on policies, different working with different governments, all in an effort to make sure that our foundation, which is the family of every country, is protected, especially from UN, the UN, and different organizations that they're aligned with. Yeah. How do you handle the reaction with the positions that you carry politically, being pro-life? I mean, the left seems to have such a a mad power right now, for lack of a better term. How, do, how are you reacting when people, you know, tear you down for your, your political beliefs or your belief in God or you're a pro-lifer, you know? I, I take a little bit of heat that myself. So how do you handle that criticism? I, I actually really enjoy it. I love I love tension, and I love it when people question me on those different topics. 
I truthfully like to find a basis in which we both agree. What is that bridge that we can both come to the middle of and start a discussion? Because everybody has a reason why they believe what they believe. And what I'm finding more so with individuals, especially my age, is that everybody has been told what to think and not very many people have come to their own conclusions. And so it's, it's this thinking, it's not really even a belief anymore um, to be pro-choice. And so I, I often find that in conversation, when you're able to actually initiate them, that there, there's often a lot of hurt. And um, I mean, one in four women will have an abortion in their lifetime. So always approaching topics with, with compassion when dealing with the general populace, but then also being able to be kind of bold and courageous when you're dealing with organizations or institutions like the UN and, and willing just to speak truth, but always coming to, to speak the truth with kindness and compassion and grace. That, that always opens a door as opposed to just saying that you're you're a belligerent murderer and you're doing evil every single day. I mean, abortionists know that and that's what they do, but um, not just approaching every topic as abortion is just murder, but digging a little bit deeper. And um, but yeah, especially when you when you talk about God or um, or protection of religious freedoms or any kind of sensitive topic in today's day and age, just finding that bridging point and understand coming to the conversation, understanding that you don't have to have an agenda to convert someone, but just being willing to listen to their story is is very very beneficial especially in those tenuous conversations speaking of conversations what and i'm not sure if i asked you this last time but what do you consider the most important conversations that we're either not having or we're having badly that we need to get better at that we really need to flesh out i mean there's some there's some things that people will not touch mm-hmm. um yeah, I think there's a the, a question, uh, or well, the Jewish question. I'm not sure exactly there. I I know that many people are hesitant to talk about race uh, mm-hmm. versus IQ. You know, I'm not even sure that's an important question. It's not for me, uh, but you know, there is 15 percent of our population that is actually unemployable due to their IQ. So th- that mm-hmm. is a cons- that I mean that it does hold weight, but I just wonder what your what you consider. For me, everything seems to revolve around free speech. I think mm-hmm. we've got a religious question around the Christian Jew Muslim thing. I'm not sure what the question is or how we even approach it. Um, you know, yeah, the, the idea that boys can become girls and back and forth. Hey, you want to live your life as any sex? I have no problem with it. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I just interested in what you might th- consider to be the most important topics, subjects, or conversations that we're not having or having badly that we need to really get better at doing, or be less afraid yeah. to have. Yeah, I I really do. We we did talk. We did touch on this conversation last time, but I'll maybe add to it a little bit. Um, I think you actually brought up the topic of father, fathers in the homes, fatherlessness, fatherlessness. and it, it really is a plague, and and especially with what's happening with BLM. I mean, that kind of blew up a couple months ago, but it's, it's an issue not only for the black community, but for every single community. And a lot of women are being incentivized not to have a male figure in the home. So that's, that's one that we really need to bring to light um, and draw, not away from, but add to um, 
the fact that this is not just happening in the black community. This is this is a cultural thing that's happening and it's going to ruin our societies and generations for to come if we don't start talking about it well and and elevating and illuminating those aspects that are really beneficial about having men and fathers in the home. So I think that's one of them, but another one would be is very sensitive topic. Uh, conversion therapy is what it's called, but um, a lot of people call it compassion care. And I think we need to start having a different type of conversation around that, especially in Canada because of Bill C8 or C6 rather, that's that's on the table. And the, the facts about it are, are astonishingly skewed by the media and by, by leftist activists, radicals. And so I think there's there's a lot of room for discussion about the facts of, of what, it's not true conversion therapy, but it's really compassion care and stripping away the freedom of individuals who seek help or who are seeking help to actually provide that for them. We're, we're stripping away an essential service essentially for, the, for these individuals who, um, so for example, uh, I didn't really expand on it, but if you, if I, for example, am same sex attracted and I wanted to seek therapy or wanted to just seek help from, from my local pastor or someone about it, um, Bill C6 would, would uh, criminalize that act of a pastor or somebody offering that type of therapy. So I think we need to start having factual conversations about this and, and the media needs to be held accountable for it. And that's a very touchy subject. I'm, I totally understand that. But I've also talked to individuals who are same sex attracted and or who were and went through this counseling and it saved most of their lives. So to strip that freedom away from individuals, I think is very, very devastating. Mm. Um, but in overall, I also think bi uh, bilateralism or or um, I'm missing the word, not bilateralism. It's, it's the bridging of two different political parties, uh, bipartisanship, there we go, thank you very much. Um, bipartisanship, we need to start talking about it again because if we don't rejuvenate that very topic, it, it will die. It's, it's dead in many parts of very various spheres, um, whether politics, within families, we need to, especially from the political sphere, because that's primarily where I, I lean into, there needs to be a rejuvenation of it. And I'm starting to see it more and more so. Um, but we need to bring that that individual topic and, and speak about it, not just not just um, act, about, act, act about behind closed doors as politicians do and get along and, and be bipartisan behind closed doors. But we need to be showing it and acting it out and speaking about it in the general public as well. So those those are a few things that I would I would say are some topics and conversations that we need to start either having or being better at. Now you've been really I follow you on Twitter and you're really busy lately. Um, what are some of the things that are important to you? What are what are you working on or what are you getting the most reaction from these days? I kind of get a reaction from everything, whether it's positive or negative, which I think is a good thing. Um, so right now at the United Nations, it's the UNGA 75, the United Nations General Assembly, and it's the 75th year of the United Nations. So it's a big hoorah for the UN. And I've been covering kind of what their their projections are and what they want to see happen. And especially with COVID, there's a lot of different responses from different governments around the world. So you'll see many different countries um, member states is what they call them that are present at the UN. They come and do an announce, their kind of announcement or, or what they're excited for about the UN 
or what they're doing as an individual country and tying into to the UN that way. So there was a lot, I've been tying in, sorry, I've been um, looking back a little bit at what the UN has been doing and how that's tying into the UNGA. So there's this huge push, especially with COVID, to build back better, which was one of the main talking points throughout many, many different discussions at the UN and are still happening at the UN. But okay, when they had can, their can, can I interrupt you just for a second? Build oh, back sure. better. I've, I've heard Justin Trudeau saying this lately, but the first time I heard it was the Joe Biden campaign. That's what I was going to bring Are they just up. ripping exactly. the, the slogan off because they thought it was so, good? Or? So because I've been monitoring the UN, um, it's actually been, bef- it was before Joe Biden ever had his his talking point, his, his slogan of Build Back Better. The UN was actually pushing this. And so I actually threw it out there on Twitter one day and I was just like, this is total speculation, but I'm, I'm very curious as to, is this actually, did Joe Biden, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, did they get their slogan for their presidential campaign from the United Nations? But then it, it really started to irk me when I was watching the progression of all these leaders of organizations and of, of countries come on and celebrate the UN's 75th anniversary. And in their messages, a bunch of them were saying, we need to build back better and work towards Agenda 2030 and the Sustainable Development Goals. And I... Every every so often, I just it just kept cutting me. It just cut me. It was like, what is going on here? And so I, I looked into it a little bit further, and it, it does stem back before Joe Biden actually started using this slogan because it wasn't too long ago, but the UN was using it. And uh, I remember uh, an, an individual, rather from uh, the Netherlands, came on and gave his address, and that was the first time I heard any any government leader representing a nation actually come on and say we need to build back better and more sustainable the sustainable development goals and and they gave a very very disturbing actually messages and i actually watched justin trudeau's as well um, and compared it to to president donald trump's and it was it was night and day it was socialism against capitalism and free markets and it was it was true freedom and liberty i pinned against absolute tyranny. So I, I, I'm very concerned that uh, Biden-Harris presidential campaign is 100% on board with the globalist agenda because their talking points for their campaign is exactly what the UN is pushing. Hmm. Sorry to derail you. I just wanted to get that because it's been a burning question for me because I'm like, what is going on here? You know, like mm-hmm. a, a, who's Stephen who type of thing. So I appreciate that so where were you going as far as what you're working on at uh, the 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 UN or absolutely so there is also the 25th anniversary of the Beijing platform for action which was uh, established of course in Beijing China and it was at the fourth conference on essentially women it was a women's conference and that's where Hillary Clinton in 1994 came up and stated that women's rights are human rights and human rights are women's rights. And that's where this women's rights, I don't want to say slogan or title was birthed, but essentially that's where it was birthed. And it's this radical feminist, anti-human, really, it's anti-man, anti-women, anti-everything, life, family, home kind of agenda. And it's it's a 25th anniversary of that. So I've been monitoring that as well. And just the how they're utilizing COVID 
to push forward all these globalist anti-life, anti-family, anti-humanity, even with their with their uh, environmental kind of agendas. It's it's very disturbing. Um, but there's a lot of good things happening as well. There's there's a pro-family coalition that I'm a part of. And we've been working really around the clock to make sure that we're we're catching them wherever wherever they're kind of trying to sneak behind the clo- behind the door to try and slip under their agenda. Um, we're we're there to work and try and protect people. So there's a couple of different things that have happened in the past couple months anyway that we've now been able to form an action plan around. And one of those things are calling out the United Nations Special Rapporteurs, and these are individuals who are independent of the UN, but are appointed by the UN to their positions to monitor the different types of issues that they're in charge of. So one of them was the UN Special Rapporteur on Freedom of Religion or Belief and Ahmed Shahid. And he was appointed to this position to specifically cover and protect the different types of rights of religious organizations and individuals worldwide. And so as I was, I was kind of looking over his, his recommendations that he made as to the stumbling blocks or things that are prohibiting religious freedom and the freedom, free exercise and belief thereof worldwide. And it was, it was very disturbing to read his report because it, it, it discriminates against national sovereignty. It calls for the full legalization of abortion and very, very other, various other things that completely go against the majority of religious beliefs. And uh, I was disturbed by this enough to make sure that we had a plan of action for it. So our coalition is working on getting religious leaders worldwide. And if you happen to be one of them, anyone listening, please do reach out to me because I'd love to get you involved. As well as we're getting different governments worldwide we're working on getting the u.s congress to help us out as well as other other governments so to kind of push back on this this report that the special rapporteur issued and essentially before when when this report is given it's going to be in in layman's terms as adopted into the u.n um Human Rights Council, which means that it's then going to be these issues are then going to be monitored, and countries around the world are going to be held accountable by the UN for any kind of discrimination against these these very things. Like if a country is, let's take Iran, for example, if they if they don't promote or legalize abortion, it's going to be a human rights issue. And so there's there's many different things that this these kind of reports that special rapporteurs push that are in line with the UN agenda, yet they're supposed to be independent. So again, UN Special Rapporteur for Physical or Mental Health is another one of them. She's a huge abortion advocate. She wants the full decriminalization, full legalization of uh, sex work, which is prostitution. We're not going to skew those words up. It is prostitution. And many other teaching CSE, which is comprehensive sexuality education. So a lot of disturbing things that these uh, special rapporteurs are pushing. So that's one of the things, as well as working with different governments to help work on policies that really do protect life and contribute to the full flourishing of every individual, whether born or unborn. So those are those are a few things that we're doing right now, and uh, and it's it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of work, but nonetheless, I'm pretty honored to be doing it. 
Great. Describe the UN logistically and then balance it with how you see them functioning. For those that aren't, you know, we look at the UN and, well, oh, yeah, we need a, a world government body. We need, you know, all kind of, you know, so just, yeah, take some time to describe what maybe it was created as, what it's turned into, and then your personal thoughts on how it's functioning. Yeah, so it was created after World War II, essentially to keep the peace of the world and to be this intermediary where everybody can come together. Governments can send their own representatives to this one body to come and, and promote world peace so that essentially World War III wouldn't happen. And that was when the Declaration of Human Rights was created. And, and it was, I think, innocent in its conception. And it was goodwilled and... I really do believe that um, there's a lot of conspiracies out there. And yes, I'm very aware of them, that the UN was set up for various other reasons. And maybe that's true. But uh, from the facts that I've seen, it's it's really to promote world peace. And so I, I think that it's been skewed over the years that it's always this light and this beacon in the world. I, I do I do know for a fact also that there's been a lot of good things that have happened because of the UN because there was this, this gap essentially in the world where there was no meeting place and, and the UN filled that gap. And so I'm grateful for that. Um, but that's of, of years, years and years past. Again, this is the 75th anniversary of the UN. And so if we speed it up all the way to today, we see that China, a lot of different countries, but primarily China, has a lot of influence at the UN and so too do organizations like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and Planned Parenthood and Marie Stopes International, so many different groups that really go against a lot of the cultural, um, accepted cultural and protectionary measures in which countries around the world promote. And so I think, I think that it's been utilized in the past for good in some areas, but to this point today, it is essentially a body in which is unelected that now promotes specific agendas to change different countries' um, cultural norms in order to promote certain organizations and, and industries like the abortion industry, for example. Um, and so I, I think that nowadays it's not really, yes, it still does some good things, but I think we could do a whole lot better with a different type of organization that has a lot more accountability. Now, I'm all for reform. I, I would love for the UN to be reformed. But I think that it's so down, down the drain, not down the drain, but so far gone that you just you can't reclaim it. Um, because it really is a playground for the world's dictators and those who have very dangerous agendas. And, and I know people at the UN from different UN, uh, different UN missions, which are the places where governments send their, their representatives to, who absolutely agree with me on this point that the UN is not what, what it once was, even though that's what the media still portrays it to be. And I know that it shouldn't hold as much power as it does. And people are just not able to say that who work at the United Nations. Um, and so I, I, I'm kind of sad for that because it has somewhat so much power that it could be used for so much good, true good. Um, but I, I don't believe that it's really possible in this day and age to reclaim it. So although you're supportive of a reform, 
if the UN collapsed on itself tomorrow, you know, the world wouldn't stop. No. No, it wouldn't stop. So it makes me um, wonder what the actual logistical function of a world body like that could be now because I'm skeptical. Um, and as I told you in the last show, I'm a red-pilled green. In fact, five years ago to this day, I was in the middle of my last federal election as a Green Party candidate. Wow. And yeah, I've been a Green Party candidate since 1993 several times. Um, now I've come center right, which seems extreme to many of my fans or friends or even family mm-hmm. that think they know it all about masks and think they know all about Trump and think they know all about politics. I mean, I've been engaged in politics for decades. Mm-hmm. Some of my best friends and family just don't, they're not, just not interested in it. And that's fine. I mean, I don't judge them on that, mm-hmm. but all of a sudden now they're telling me, you're not right. Like, there's something wrong with you. Why? Because yeah. I want to stop illegal immigration? Because I'm against, at the very least, I think I'm still moderate. Um, I don't want to ever see a late-term abortion. Ever. Mm-hmm. You know, I know I'm not going to stop abortions, but we don't have a law for it in Canada. I didn't know that. Yeah. I did not know that. And most people don't. So yeah. I'm very skeptical of these false narratives that... You know, my new website, when it breaks, the first promotional shirt with which is going to be, you've been duped. Because so many of us are, and I was, you know, I didn't really look into why Colin Kaepernick was kneeling on the sideline. But to find mm-hmm. out that Black Lives Matter was based on a lie that cops are indiscriminately and disproportionately killing black people blew mm-hmm. my mind. And now yeah. I'm angry that I got taken in even a little bit. Yeah. And so I, I wonder, and I'm very skeptical of the WHO, of bodies like the UN that sell this Marxist left-wing lie yeah. that racism pervades every, you know, we have Justin Trudeau telling the RCMP is racist and people don't get words are important. Systemic means all through the body. It mm-hmm. like if I have an infection in my finger, it's localized. If it if I have a systemic infection, it's my whole body. It's not just. And people are trying to sell the idea that systemic racism exists yeah. everywhere in every. And I'm not buying it. And so, yeah. it's been hard for me lately because. You know, Jordan Peterson helped me to understand because I was suffering a lot of pain with this, what I would call growth, like Mm. wisdom, even if I could be so bold as to say that, because I don't consider consider myself all that wise. Uh, But, you know, my body, my choice up to nine months doesn't work for me anymore. I'm not 24. Uh, I'm not saying I believe that, you know, in 1993, but. I'm, anyways, I'm, I'm, I'm resigned, I'm cynical, I'm angry, and Peterson helped me go, what, do you think you're going to change the lenses, the color of the lenses that you see the world through, and it's not going to cause pain? No. Yeah. It's very painful when you change your beliefs, because, well, I consider myself a very loyal human being. I didn't yeah. realize that I was also loyal to my old beliefs, and breaking mm-hmm. up with those beliefs has been really difficult, so you know, I wonder how you... 
how you put that in the context of the UN because I feel like they're selling me a narrative that's just garbage, to be honest with you. Yeah, they well, they're very good at it too because they they have regional and international um, bodies that also align with them and push their message and talking points as well as the organizations and and talking heads that align with them and team up with them to and they all promote this agenda. And that's why I say it's kind of a who the UN is kind of a hoorah place for a lot of evil in the world and a lot of different agendas are cooked up there and then pushed out from there. Um, because the UN pushes so much humanitarian, what they deem to be anyway, humanitarian aid. And yes, they do push a lot of money. They do push a lot of aid to a lot of hurting countries, but there's, there's a lot of strings attached. And I'll bring up Yemen, for example. They, Yemen went through a, a really, is going through a really tough time right now. And a lot of people are on the brink of starvation, like multiply millions. And instead of delivering clean water, immediate aid for clean water and food and sanitary sanitary um, materials, they, they said that they were not going to deliver any of that until Yemen said yes to reopening all of their reproductive health services, which is abortion. And, and something I want to say is at the UN, they always use this, this talking point of, that was made up, it's actually not a term, it's a term, not a talking point rather, of sexual and reproductive health and rights, which is code for abortion. So if you don't say yes to our SRHR agenda, then we're going to hold back aid until such a time, which means more people are going to die. And that's not what a true humanitarian does. So I would never deem that humanitarian aid. That's that's disgusting to me. So um, in the confines of the UN, I I see that it's it's because they have so many different local in every every country. There are local talking heads that are tied into the UN, and different governments are on board because they see the UN as such a powerful institution, which I, I think needs to be pushed back on because the UN is unelected. And yet they affect our local, provincial, and and federal legislation, as well as international legislation. So I think it's I think that there needs to be some accountability there um, when it comes to that that specific issue. Is it, am I getting the WHO and the UN confused? Because as soon as you said, like I've heard this idea that oh no, we'll we'll come in, we'll give you drinking water, just sign your banks over to us, we're good. You know that's who these people are am i getting it right i haven't heard that one yet um i could go i very well could have happened i can go look it up um uh, but the, the the who is a branch off of the un just like the un population fund um un women these are all branches of the un um but they are still the un so who is still the un um but yes like for example so the the who sets the world standard um, for sexuality education of our children. And they work with, um, they worked with uh, UNFPA, which is their population organization. They, they're, they're tasked with depopulating the earth and, uh, sorry, lowering population. And then they also had IPPF, International Planned Parenthood Federation, come on and work with them to create this very sexual, disgusting curriculum for our children. And so 
it's very telling of what the WHO wants to do and therefore what the UN is trying to do with these very powerful or what people have given power to these organizations. So um, they're, they're very, they're very, like I keep saying agenda because they're very agenda driven. Um, and those agendas always lead to more money in their pockets or the, or that of individuals like IPPF or Marie Stopes International or whoever else might be on their piggyback. Talk to me about the kids because um, there's nothing that enrages me more. I, again, I'm I'm a guy that can pretty readily identify where my hate is directed. <laughs> I, I'd love to get rid of it. I, I haven't been able to. Um, but there's nothing more that challenges me than trying to understand how the sexualization of our children is helping this drag queen story time, this sex ed. I mean, especially in Ontario, we mm. had a convicted pedophile, pedophile. or, you know, yep. right. Like Benjamin how, Levin. Uh, yeah. How the hell did we get to this place? And for me, yeah, I'm all about free speech. I'm all about, you know, trying to convince people that more gun laws aren't going to make safer communities, but don't screw with my kids. Now, I don't have kids, yeah. so I use that metaphorically. I'm not yeah. saying it's still out of the question for me because I, I love them, okay? And m maybe that's why I crave them so badly because I, I, I didn't have them. But, and that's one thing that this COVID has knocked right out of me is, you know, once a month I would look after the preschoolers at church and there'd be 25 mm -hmm. of them. And whoever wanted to shoot baskets with Jimbo in the corner was my guy, girl or whatever. Like, I just love them. And yeah. to watch them now, you know, I've got a guest coming up on Thursday. She's got a five-year-old daughter. I have access to an ex-girlfriend of mine who's, basically one of my best friends that she's got a four-year-old granddaughter which is the love of my life right now to, to, she i feel like I, I know this sounds dramatic but she cleans my soul when i'm with her yeah i told her That's the a other good way day of putting it i told her the other day Liv, you know what i really like hanging out with you you, you make me a happy person when i'm here she's like oh thanks you know like <laughs> so i'm just really concerned about the kids because i, I know you don't have children yet but I'm very protective, even though I don't have my own for other people's. And I'm surprised that we're letting this slide as a collective. Yeah. And it worries me. Yeah. So I want to get your thoughts on the sexualization, the over-sexualized. I mean, any sexualization of of kids to me is wrong. And, you know, yeah. I, I remember saying to one of my Green Party friends over the last few years, uh, transitioning a, a pre pubescent child is child abuse and they're like easy jimbo whoa 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 like i said something and now you can have your kids taken from you if they come to you and say ma i want to be a boy and you don't take them immediately not to a psychological not to you know someone to check their head mm -hmm. you take them for transition you put them yeah. on the puberty blockers when it's time and i my guts just get ripped out and it makes my heart sink when I even talking about it. And I can't believe that in 2020, 
we, and I say that as a collective, and I, I put most of the blame on the left because they're so flexible when it comes to these things. And I, like I say, love who you want, wear the clothes that you mm-hmm. want. I don't even care if you want to, you know, get your sex changed, but you can't. Like, yeah. boys can't become girls. And then we have this big, this 80 plus percent desistive rate of people that transi- uh, uh, transition. Um, so yeah, just your thoughts on the sexualization of children and, and where is this all going? Can we get it back? Can we put the genie back in the bottle? Like it's so obscene and it's so out of my, my understanding. Like I wonder, like I know the pendulum swings politically in other ways, but how can this be okay? How can the majority, the silent majority of most Canadians, Americans, North Americans just sit there and go, yeah. Drag, t- yeah, I think it's fun. Drag, yeah. drag queens teaching my grade three, whatever. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, it's, well, I, I think that it's, that's not a pendulum in this case. It's, it's an agenda again. And so it's, it's not just even a political thing. It's a social thing. And so what many institutions and organizations first start doing is they start poking and prodding. And just like if you're going to disseminate propaganda, you're going to start putting little pieces, little nuggets here and there, and people are going to go, they're going to be shocked and awed. And then two years from then, it's just going to be normal. And so it's the normalization of a lot of different topics or issues that were even once taboo. Yeah, we're becoming desensitized to it. Exactly. So many things have been normalized. And and what again, it's not just the left, but the left has done a really good job at identifying and understanding psychology and identifying that children are going to be the carriers of, of agendas and ideas, whether beneficial or dangerous, into the future. And that's going to be taught to their children. It's just going to be a trickle down. So you think this is a straight up indoctrination, indoctrination and programming, a deliberate programming of our children to make sure that the agenda is carried forward? Are these people actually this bright and maniacal? And yes, yes. And people in this center, center right, right, far right, whatever. Um, I probably shouldn't say far right. I I think a far right being um, my I'm far right now, just center. (laughs) I'm a moderate center right guy and I'm far right because the left has gone so radically the other way. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, where was my turn of thought going on that one? So sorry. The kids. Um, yes, our kids. So when, when we're looking at these, yeah, when we're looking at these, these issues, it's partially our fault as well as people on the right. Because we thought, oh, well, it's it, if, we, if we shoot a post out there or we raise one issue with a rep representative, elected representative, um, we've done our part. And uh, then we move on to the next thing and the left just keeps hammering forward. And we just go, oh my gosh, there's so much that we just get overwhelmed. Do we go, okay, well, we're going to sit back, we're going to watch this and we're not going to do anything. Um, I, was, I was recently reading a a scripture in in the Bible and it's like, well, yeah, we're supposed to be out there and defending the vulnerable and the widows and and those who really truly need support, but we're not supposed to just do that. We're supposed to then do good as well. So we're supposed to be active in our communities. We're supposed to be the ones that are changing culture and influencing culture and people looking to us instead of culture influencing us and us doing nothing about it. So I, I really do believe that different several countries around the world even though they might seem far gone 
um, whether it's economically or socially, there's always, there really is always hope um, because we, we can look at legislation and it's so boring, honestly. Like it's, it's just boring to look at legislation for me and many other people, but you can see different ways that you can tweak it and be like, oh my gosh, this could have a great ramification if we change different things um, for the future. And like decriminalizing prostitution, no brainer, that's bad for, for individuals in the industry as well as those outside of it. So there's many ways that we can, we can repeal legislation, we can modify, um, but I think that the most important thing about our kids, our parents being engaged, because we have this whole generation that is now grown up being taught and loved on and giving acceptance to children via what we're doing right now, being online. And that can be a really dangerous thing. And we've seen it because kids, and it leads back to, to what CSE, Comprehensive Sexuality Education does. And one of its, one of its intentions its stated intentions is to deliberately have the teacher ask children what their values are at four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and then say, okay, well, what about these, these types of values, these types of beliefs? And when it when a child is in front of an adult, if you whether you have children or not, just think back to your own childhood. If you're in front of an adult and they're telling you that what your mom and dad are telling you is not right, and this is a much better way, this is a better way to be a friend, to love the world. Um, they're teaching these things. Children are going to go, oh yeah, that is a better way than what my parents are telling me. So they're teaching children to differentiate between what they're being taught at home and what, what their school teaches, essentially. And then children are then affirmed in what the, the school or the teacher is teaching them. Not and, and that should never be happening in the classroom. That that's pure indoctrination, and and classrooms are no. It should be nowhere near that. And yet this is being taught in our schools and to our children. And um, one of the most disturbing things actually is pushed from the WHO, and in their sexual curriculum, they essentially say that children as young as four years old should be learned how to pleasure themselves, and. Uh, I think that parents and people in the general public are just, they think it's just so out there that it would never come near them. And what the left understands is that, I was thinking about this just yesterday actually, is that even like the, if you get the hubs, you get the centers, then you're good, but you're not, your agenda is not complete. You haven't hit that goal, that target. We need to then go into the countryside and influence every single little schoolhouse here or there and everywhere. And that's what they do. And that's what they've now done all the way down to like our po our like middle of nowhere post offices. They have these very whacked out um, policies like gender policies, for example, where nobody can get a job there. Everybody needs their mail, but nobody can get a job because you have to subscribe to a certain kind of ideology or be tilted a certain way. So it's, it's a very intentional, um, very smart plan. And I think that it's been working so well because people just don't believe that I could ever touch them. And then when it does touch them, they just feel powerless. What do you mean by smart? By smart. smart, the leftists, you mean? Mm -hmm. They understand how to push talking points, how to utilize, let's say social media. They And for a long time, and, and 
people on the right have gotten way better at this and are starting that those results are starting to show. But when it comes to legislation or setting up organizations and then independent organizations and then sub organizations and then having this person in the media talk about their own agenda and making sure that they're networking really well and making sure that they train up the next generation of lawyers and influencing how then the lawyers are taught. And it's, it's a whole um, system and it's very, like, it is very intelligent and people on the right and on the left nowadays, especially think that the other side is just a bunch of archaic dumbwads who, who do nothing and just say everything that's so, so bad and evil. But the truth is, is that that's even purposeful. That's, that's what people in the highest offices want that nobody really speaks their names about because, um, because if you can cause chaos, if you can cause disorder, even amongst the intellectuals, Division. Um, then you're, you're in a really bad spot and that's where we're at. Um, but when, when we even look at, for example, after World War II, when the socialists knew they lost, when the Nazis knew they were kaput, what did they do? They made a very smart decision and they decided, because even in America, in Canada, in the UK, everywhere, there were Nazi supporters and many who actually even went overseas to fight with the Nazis. And when they returned or they, they thought they were done with, they came up with a plan to influence again, the next generation. So what did they do? They went and became professors in different universities. And then you start teaching ideologies from there on out, which again, if you hear it from a professor at Harvard or Oxford or wherever, you're going to go, oh my gosh, I didn't know this all my life. And what I learned was a lie all this time. And these amazing, well-educated individuals are teaching me this. I need to carry this message on. And these individuals come out feeling empowered. And uh, I think that, I think that that is part of the way that this slippery slope has just gone straight down and we're, we're kind of arcing the bottom of it now. Um, but I really, again, I don't like to just be a bearer of bad news. I also see a lot of people in universities in institutions who have gone through this radical sexualization program, essentially from kindergarten to grade 12 and then on into their secondary. A lot of them now are reverting back to what they were formerly taught as children or what society showed them to be to be good and pure and true. And so a lot of people I think need to now find their voice and start speaking up about it because people come to me all the time and are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're saying this stuff, but I've gone through this, everything you've said. And, yeah. and you know I, what I get a lot of the times is, oh, I, I, I love that you just don't care because it comes <laughs> out, I'm deeply sensitive when people, you know, say, crap about me because they disagree with what I believe and, and they call me names it hurts but people yeah. think I don't care because I'm fearlessly speaking truth yeah. uh, and I don't want to even say my truth it's like no you have truth and you have lies <laughs> yeah and it's true yes and, that's the truth you know it's um I don't know it's I, I don't I am I'm guilty of not giving the left their proper due because I, I don't consider them that intelligent and that planned and that strategic and that deliberate and that intentional. 
And, well, and, and uh, if I can say, they wouldn't have the success if they weren't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, part of part of that is who they throw out there essentially to push their talking points, right? <laughs> so they're let's take for example AOC. I was just gonna say AOC. Um, she's not the smartest woman in the world, but she understands, let's say, social media, how to look good, um, how to talk. She's a great actress. Yes. There you go. Perfect way to describe her. And, but you have to understand those people who are influencing her, who are talking to her about how to talk, how to present herself, how to talk about different issues, what kind of legislation is coming up she needs to support, um, and, and train really the training and the wheels on the, under the cart. That's where the foundation is. And that's what pushes the agenda forward. Yeah. When she first came onto the scene, she looked like a, like, beyond radical and even people on the left are like who is this chick like she she's she's ridiculous and so now a lot of people are going oh okay either they're really for her still or they're really against her even some of her former supporters like oh i want nothing to do with her but she accomplished a really important strategic thing and that's pushing agendas forward like she presented the green new deal (laughs) Like the Green New Deal would bring down America so fast, but yet she did it. And she moved that that till just a little bit more and then just a little bit more. Um, and it's going to be her, one of their downfalls, of course. But it's, it's really important to understand that people are put into positions for strategic reasons, even if they do seem like they're the loosey-goosey total blondes. Um, and I, that's no slight against blonde people, by the way. Um, but you like you have to understand like there's there's people behind the people behind the people and um, when you get to the root core of it there's strategists there's people who are brainiacs who are driving these things through other people so that's why i say they're so they're so smart they're brilliant Mm -hmm. i want to pick up on your prostitution uh comment how do you not legalize and regulate the oldest trade in human history I mean, you know, prostitution's not going anywhere. Just like no. poverty's not going anywhere. Just like mental illness isn't going anywhere. Just like, you know, we, we have some ills that are inherent to society. We're not going to fix them. We've never been able to fix them. It's like, you know, 15% of the population has an IQ that considers them unemployable. That's an issue we're never going to get rid of. You know, right. well, you could, I guess, if you took drastic measures, but... Uh, I, I'm interested in your thoughts around the decriminalization and the regulation of it, because I haven't really revisited that thought in a while. I've revisited capital punishment, abortion, you know, guns, free speech, everything over the last five years in my so-called red pilling. But, you know, that's one that I haven't really, really debated with anyone because you're not going to get rid of it. Why make nope. criminals out of the these people? If because there, there's always going to be a market for paid sex. So absolutely, what yep. do we do about it? So I would first say, just like with the abortion issue, women who go in for an abortion, um, if it was if it was illegal, the act of abortion, women going in for abortions would not be the criminals. It would be the abortionists, the ones killing the child, and. Um, I would say it's the same when it comes to um, the prostitution issue with prostitutes not being the criminals. It's, it's those seeking out. Um, and so I, 
it's a, it's a strange issue for me too. I haven't dug into it too much, but I always take the viewpoint um, and understanding that, or rather I take the, the talking point that the left often pushes of decriminalizing it is actually going to be safer for, for these individuals in the industry. And that's, that's totally false. Because when you look at, let's say again, Netherlands, um, where prostitution is totally legal and it's, it's, it is a legit industry, it's out there in the public, um, over 90% of women in it report still being ro robbed or raped or very brutally abused. Um, so it doesn't do anything for the health or the safety and protection of, of men and women or even where it's allowed, young individuals, even children in it. So um, it's something I, I have to dig into more as well. But I always take the standpoint of the reason why they want it decriminalized or just totally legalized is that they want, um, they want it to be a safer industry. And they also want it to be a credible industry, which for me immediately speaks to the erosion of a society. I mean, it, it's a degrading industry. I, I've, I still know some people in it and who self-prostitute themselves. And because they don't see themselves, one is either worthy of having a, a regular, like what we would deem a regular job, or they see that it's the most easy, accessible um, means of, of quick cash. And so I look at all those different symptoms per se and go, okay, how can we remedy all of this? Why do people feel this way, men and women? And it's, it's the very disturbing trend actually coming up that I want people to be aware of is our, our mothers and fathers um, self-prostituting themselves out because they, they can't find work um, that's flexible for them. So I think even working on flexible, a flexible job, um, which is something that is is talked about at the UN, which I appreciate, um, and a lot of it's talked around the context of making prostitution, self-prostitution easier. Um, but there are countries like Italy and, and several others who are working on this very issue of making it easier for for moms and dads to be able to work from home and or have a more flexible job so that they don't have to pay daycare, so that they can raise a family, so that they, they can have these powerhouses because of what families are within society that drive the economy. So there's many different symptoms, many different issues around prostitution and decriminalizing it, um, but it all comes down to me. I care and love these people in, in this so-called industry, and I want to see them to see them well and protected and loved, and none of that comes from being in the industry. I, I'm open to shifting my thoughts on this, um, but I, I get stuck in my old beliefs very often. And, and again, I haven't visited this. And so maybe we can, we're not going to work it out completely together, but maybe you could give me something to think about when I leave here. But I'm just, I'm thinking, you know, how is it different than any other like service? You know, I pay a plumber to come fix my tub. I, yeah. you know, and it, it it's got to be a, it's got to be pretty lucrative, I would think, from the standpoint of like how you can live compared to you know working in a grocery store. I'm I'm thinking sex workers pays a little bit better than that. Now maybe you've got mm -hmm. other, uh, you know, payouts or tip outs to other people if you've got other people in the organization that are lining you up, 
with escort services or you know your traditional pimp or whatever like that but you know and i just i come back to this idea that i've only learned over the last decade or so like there's some things you're just not going to get rid of and this is the oldest trade in human history and so um how's it different than from any other service you know i'm i've got a need you've you've got the answer here i'll give you money and you give me what i need Mm-hmm. No, I get the whole how it's not healthy. I get whole, you know, how, you know, if you're a Christian, it, it certainly doesn't speak to Christian values. Uh, it, it destroys the family unit, which I think is, you know, like we were talking about fa- fatherlessness and whatnot is, you know, Nietzsche said we killed God. What what do you expect? And blood yeah. will run in the streets for decades. Well, yeah. we're seeing a lot of that. So, but I, I want... I'm open to having a shift on it, but I'm not there yet. And I haven't really dug into it. I haven't listened to enough debate on it objectively mm-hmm. to kind of have an open uh, change of mind on it. Right. Well, how it's different from a plumber, using your example, it, plumbers are very beneficial to society. They're they are very beneficial. Um, and no harm is ever done from employing whether to the, the plumber or, or the customer, there's never any harm done. And um, there, there is a lot of harm that can be and often is done by legalizing prostitution. Now, um, we could get into the whole discussion of how the healthcare system would then have to account for um, higher increases in HIV and or AIDS, as well as, as, well as um, just like I don't want my tax dollars going towards funding abortion. I also don't want my tax dollars going towards providing different types of, of preventative, of, I don't know how to really say it, healthcare towards pre- in institutions or industries in which are very preventative and or I consider prostitution to be self-harm. That's, that's truly what I consider it to be. Um, but when it comes to decriminalizing it, I, I truly just see it as a means of it does it does hurt the economy in a certain way, but it also hurts individuals, not just the individuals in the industry, but those outside of it. Um, so I want thriving families because, I mean, governments around the world look to families as um, to determine the health and wealth of their other nations. That's how important family units are. Um, and when you decriminalize prostitution, the majority of individuals doing it, whether self or forced, are being trafficked. That in and of itself is yet another huge industry that has been going on since the dawn of the day. And you talk so- about conversations that nobody wants to have. There's human trafficking all, it's been going on for a long time and no yeah. one's really, especially when it involves children, yeah. Nobody wants to have that conversation. No, there's no political leader alive today that is initiating the conversation around child tra- human trafficking or child trafficking. Right. Well, I have to say, I have to give kudos to the United States because they launched this amazing initiative that has touched every nation, truly. Um, what was that? So it's, it's essentially through every single governmental department, um, which includes those um, overseas or abroad, which would be their um, their consulates. Every single organization and department attached to the U.S. government is fighting and combating human trafficking, which is amazing. Um, and they're seeing immense results. 
And that benefits every single nation because human trafficking is directly linked to prostitution, as well as abortion, as well as porn use, whether by young or old. Um, it affects every single country's healthcare. So it's, it's a really beneficial program and especially Secretary Pompeo has been fantastic with it. Um, so I have to give them kudos for that. But um, again, it's it, these old trades per se, they all boil down to the human condition and the heart. And I think that in a society that does not promote values, which is, is what government is supposed to do, the original intention um, and purpose of government being instituted is that it is supposed to punish evil. It, it is supposed to punish evil, both uplifting justice. And, and when you look at, at the root of it, it's supposed to drive out the evil within society and the individual. But then it's also supposed to promote and uplift the good, those individuals in society who are pushing morality. Um, and that's something that, that many countries in the world are no longer doing, nor governments. And I think that what it comes down to is people really need, and I think COVID's given a lot of people this opportunity as to reevaluate re where they're at, really where their hearts are at. What is the purpose of their life? And every life does have, have purpose. But until we start to actually have conversations again about God, really, and I've had this with conversation with atheists and they're rediscovering their faiths as well, or at least that there is a God or something to believe in. Um, I think until we understand that there is purpose again, we're going to keep seeking out these, these very degrading um, uh, industries, or rather industries that degrade other human beings. And how we treat the most vulnerable among us, whether they're born or, or not, is really how we're going to treat everyone. So if we, if we see lives as, as disposable, whether it's the child in the womb to be aborted or a woman in pro who's being prostituted or some human being, a child or a man in, who's being trafficked and sold for sex, if we see those people as disposable, we're going to see everybody that way. We're not going to appreciate life around us. And that's gonna that's gonna affect what we spend our money on, what we spend our time in, and and how we're going to even vote. So for me, that's that's kind of an all-encompassing um, issue for me. And taking care of the vulnerable is a, you know, something we probably haven't been doing as good a job as we could be now. Um, and you know, I, I wanna. I want to inspire hope, but you know I feel so hopeless sometimes. And I'm a ten-time candidate. You know I'm politically engaged. I have some pretty thick skin. I am sensitive, but I come off like you can't touch me. I think yeah. that's kind of funny because it's not even how I come off. It's the way people um, understand my way of being. Yeah. Um, you know because. If I didn't care, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. I wouldn't be talking to any of the people that I talk to because it's my hope that someone watching goes, oh, wow, that's interesting. I never really considered that before. And, mm -hmm. you know, speaking, our speech really is thinking. And if we can't yes. be free to speak, and I think a lot of people in the silent majority are like, Jimmy, God bless you, man. I'm with you. But I can't like those posts. 
because yeah. I can't be seen on social media supporting a guy like you. I, I got you. I'll support you privately, but there's no way I can come on your show, be associated mm-hmm. with you, hang out with you, or even like your post on on yeah. social media. So um, I want to be hopeful, but, and I think that every generation has had their, their times of like, whoa, this is going way too far. We've always had that. You know, we're we're really not that special in this day and age. We have some specific issues. We had specific mm-hmm. issues that in every generation. Exactly. So I'm not I'm not hopeful that we can turn back time. Like in reality, we are the most progressive, the most understanding, the most tolerant society the mm-hmm. that's ever existed on this planet. And yes. we get better every day. Exactly. Yep. And the left, all they want to talk about is how we're racially, stereotypically profiling people, keeping people down on purpose, the rich and the, you know, socialism for everyone. I just, I am so hopeless when I hear this. I'm like, what am I going to do? I do my little talk show. You know, I've got a couple people watching here, a couple comments on Twitch, a couple, you know, but you know, and YouTube won't give me my channel back. I was up to 3 right. million views, you know, yeah. out of nowhere. So I, I'm wondering where you find your hope and what do you, what do you see as hopeful in society today? Yeah. Well, I, I got about three minutes till my next meeting. Oh, oh. till I have to leave for my next meeting, so but geez. I will, I will, uh, I will slam it in here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> truly. I do find my hope. Um, I have to say I am a Christian. I do find my hope knowing that my purpose doesn't depend on what I do, but upon who I am and whose I am. And, and understanding that I understand that I actually do have hope not only for my future, but for those around me as well. And when you understand that the hope you find hope, like it's not just out there, you can have a glimmer of it and then it can easily fade. But when you understand that there is hope in front of you always uh, you can continually march on. Yeah, you're going to have crappy days. Yeah, you're going to stumble and you're going to fall and you're going to fail. But understanding that there is actually something out there, there's purpose beyond just my title or a, based upon what I went to school for or um, who I'm married to, there is hope beyond all of that and purpose. And I, I think that even in society, we're seeing glimmers of that that can actually uplift people. Like I said, like that human trafficking initiative started by President Trump, that gave me a lot of hope because that started influencing countries around the world. And that's only gonna have a beneficial effect for for both people in the industry and those who have sought it out. And then you can look at different politics, especially, I'm actually grateful for COVID in a certain way um, because we've seen a lot of governments, a lot of, a lot of people in general um, reveal who they are really are, as well as where they really stand. And uh, I think people have been able to cling on to, oh my gosh, there's someone out there speaking. That gives me hope because I believe what they're saying, but I can't speak just like you're saying. And um, and so I think I think people have to understand again, boiling it down to the human condition. We in and of ourselves we are just human beings. But the fact 
remains that, yeah, we're human beings. That's powerful. And uh, I think people have to understand their worth. And I don't, I don't care how old or how young you are. Um, that journey can always start. And knowing that what society deems as, as valuable really isn't that valuable. Um, and, and so I think that people really just need to dig into where is your purpose? What is your purpose? But really, who are you? And do you really know whose you belong to? And what was actually paid for your life? That makes you valuable. Preach. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you, your time, your commitment. Stay strong. And I look forward to uh, touching you up again when you've got, well, we could talk for hours and hours. So I appreciate oh, the yeah, time that you totally. do spend with me. And uh, yeah, maybe somebody gets something out of it. And uh, you've given me a lot to think about as well. So thank you very much for your time. And uh, we'll talk soon. Absolutely. Take care, Jim. All right. Cheers. How do I work this? Oh, she's gone already. <laughs> Matea Murda, if you need her. End meeting for all. Oh, there she is. You can find her on Twitter at Matea Murda. She's on Facebook as well. I'm going to take a break and uh, I may be back later on for another broadcast. What do we got tomorrow? Rob Berry from the Blue Turtle. That's uh, an establishment here in St. Catharines. I call it the, uh, if you're not local, you don't know what I mean, but the Wellington Court of Breakfast. It's a gourmet breakfast place that Rob was um, had built for himself. Uh, it's It was closed a while ago. Uh, he's got a new place coming up. So Rob Berry tomorrow at, 3 p.m. Um, looking forward to that. Wednesday at 3 p.m. Jeez, I should have this. Well, it's written down somewhere, but what do I got Wednesday? Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday. Let me see if I can pull it up quickly here. Wednesday at 3 p.m. We will be live with... Oh, Jennifer Lynn. <clears throat> Looking forward to this conversation, too. Jennifer Lynn is a local artist, musician. She plays guitar and sings and writes music. She blogs. She's a friend of mine on fake books. So you can find her there. So 3 o'clock. We're going to... I don't know where this conversation is going to go. It's, it's open to going just about anywhere. Um, I could probably pull her up here, huh? No, I'm not going to do that. So Jennifer Lynn is Wednesday. Rob Berry, Tuesday, tomorrow, 3 p.m. Jennifer Lynn, Wednesday, 3 p.m. And then Aaron Visitine, The Viz Show, is coming in at noon Thursday. So I got a pretty stacked week. I hope you'll get something out of it. Um, Wherever you're watching, there will be information where you can follow like and donate i don't I don't normally ask for money but i do have a patreon account called patreon.com slash free speech patreon.com slash free speech and i've never had a donation to that platform i've been very great grateful and um 
for a couple donations that came in from one guy, significant donations too, to my PayPal account. I think you can give at real estate at Team Niagara still at PayPal, but uh, I've never had a donation to the uh, Patreon platform, so I want to know that it works. So if you if you like what you see and you want to donate, we've got the true.tube, that's T-R-E-W.tube, is a um, platform I'm working on so that I can broadcast myself without having to worry about being censored. Now, bandwidth is not cheap, and I'm trying to work out exactly what that looks like as far as, um, you know, how we get to a better place for broadcasting. So I just realized I'm not even on the camera, so I'm talking to you. Matea Mert is much better looking than I am, but... Here we are on camera one, cropped out. Um, Patreon.com slash free speech if you want to donate. PayPal, real estate at teamnagra.ca. Uh, yeah, so T-R-E-W dot tube. True dot tube will be a platform that we launch soon. You'll be able to buy the You've Been Duped uh, t-shirt there. And... Um, Oh, we got to buy some bandwidth. I've got very little that needs to be done. I have a web guy that came out of nowhere that was a fan of uh, Gavin McInnes's and then, well, a fan of mine and then turned on to Gavin through me, uh, helped me with the WordPress site that we set up. And it, it's pretty slick. Uh, he did a great job and he put it, it was up in no time. So thank you, web guy. I'll keep your identity um, confidential for now. I may out him at one point, at some point, if he decides that that's okay with him. But uh, true.tube, T-R-E-W.tube. I guess dot .tube is the new suffix uh, popular for videos. I don't know. But it's all on him. So... Um, that's what we're going to use the next little bit of resources that come our way. Because I have a frog in my pocket, so I always speak in plural. All right. Peace, love, take your mask off, and go hug your neighbor. Give him a big, fanning, Olympic-sized hug. I love you. I'm out.